Hello and welcome to Tracks. I'm Tim. And I'm Harry. And this is episode number 26. 26. So as always, thank you very, very much for tuning in. This is a episode we really enjoyed recording and it's coming in what is a very, very busy week for us, isn't it? Stupid. We've got genuinely exciting things happening in the world of Tracks, which uh, will become apparent to you shortly. Within a second. Yeah. So without wanting to waste any more time on another long intro, that's the, uh, the old clock to run a countdown now. Nice. Uh, let's just get into it. Yep. Where will we see them, Harry? On the flip side. Shall we begin? So, as tradition dictates, we are going to start this part of the episode with a musical highlights of the week. That's what we always do. We do. But this week, there's a bit of a twist. And I'll have a twist, if you will. Something came about that was very different. Yeah. And it means that we are sharing a musical highlight of the week for the first time ever. Isn't it sweet? It's lovely. So, Harry, would you like to announce what our musical highlight of the week is? So... Last week, we were fortunate enough to go and see a Beatles documentary. The Beatles documentary called Eight Days a Week, The Touring Years. Absolutely. Which basically does exactly what it says on the tin. It tells you the story of them starting touring in 1962 up until they stopped touring in 1966. Everything that happened in between. And breaking news, it's really good. It's absolutely brilliant. Like, this is coming from somebody who, well, my kind of overarching point in in this whole thing is whether you're a huge Beatles fan, whether you're just a music fan, or whether you kind of, you like the Beatles a bit, but you don't know all that much about them, this is the thing for you. Yeah. I think so. I think, yeah, exactly that. People who know the Beatles will love it, just because... It's great. You've got loads and loads of footage of them playing live. You've got kind of hilarious little interviews they give that you might not have seen before. You've got bits of like in their hotel room. Yeah, kind like of back backstage kind of stuff. Larking about. You've got new interviews with Paul and Ringo, so you kind of get a new perspective yeah. that you won't have heard before. Some slightly older interviews with uh, George, isn't there? Yeah. Um, so for somebody like me who kind of... Um, I know the Beatles and... It'd be weird if you didn't. Yeah, like, <laughs> a music fan. He doesn't really know who the they who? are. Um, it was really, really great to see that kind of um, fly on the wall kind of thing. Yeah, and to understand, like, to really understand the timeline. Yeah, you were saying that one of the things it really gave you is because we've talked about a lot of artists before who have loads of albums you don't really know where to start. Yeah, and the fact they gave you like a chronology of knowing how things happened and in what order and what their progression was and what was going on and even I, I you know I'm, I think I'm a more of a Beatles fan than you but I'm by no means an expert mm. so even for me it was kind of nice to really put things in context and really kind of learn what was going on like for example obviously everyone knows the song Help mm. I didn't really know that it was John sort of talking about struggling with touring and, and their fame asking for help yeah so yeah. like you just think, because it's quite a, like an upbeat song and 
you know the album cover they're all just in their big coats and their hats looking fun it's like you kind of uh maybe miss the poignancy so just little things like that where you kind of get an insight into where they were at these moments when these songs that you've known your whole life were made is really cool i some of my favorite parts were just hearing the little quips from from the yeah uh in the like um when they were recording parts like the, the outtakes and things yeah just hearing those of it so good <laughs> on, yeah on the uh mark commode and simon mayo movie podcast yeah they have this thing for for comedy films which is the six laugh test if it passes that then it's a passable comedy film right this easily passed the six oh, man, laugh test. i laughed like every like kind of five ten minutes yeah even. it was properly funny it's yeah. hilarious in fact um so. i did you think i i've heard all these uh kind of screaming girls and things i've seen like some of their live live stuff recorded and that and i knew it was pretty hectic but you kind of get you finally can see what it might be like to be a beetle yeah and it it, it looks hard like yeah. they, they really were like there's a there's a moment when um john kind of explains how later on in their life um I think around when Rubber Soul came out, I think just a little bit before that. So when they stopped touring, it was their it was their last um, show. Yeah. And he basically said, "We feel like we're a circus, yeah. and not people aren't here for the music and stuff." And yeah, that to be as big as the Beatles, you can finally put it into perspective a little. Yeah, completely. And I think yeah, that was one of the things I really took away from it. Um, you know, I, I didn't feel like I needed to sort of learn the music, but um, mm. it was a bit like what I spoke about a couple of weeks ago when I saw Morrissey and kind of realised, oh, he's an actual man. Yeah. It's like the the Beatles are just this myth, this legend, this kind of just icons, yeah. and you kind of forget that they're also just people who, within like two years, had just entered this universe that no one in the history of the human race had ever been in before they you know they were the first people to ever experience this and it was just absolute chaos and i thought the way it really sort of gave them a humanity and you kind of realize that they're just four lads Mm. and you know young lads like and he he mentioned i think john mentions that they had to grow up so quickly yeah they were they were just thrown into adulthood in a way yeah well again it's not even adulthood though is it like no you know it's just a new version we've landed in adulthood and it's not like that no So yeah, I really loved that about it. And I, the other thing I really loved as well was some of the little stories from uh, fans and things like that. You know, there's Whoopi Goldberg in it at one stage yeah. talking about when she got to go and see them and how much that meant to her. And there's... Um, Eddie Izzard, isn't he yeah. slightly in there? Yeah. Um, and also that... I kind of forgot about that, this, but they're sort of placing them in a wider context as well, sort of a yeah. wider cultural context as... You know, a bit where there's sort of the civil rights movement in the mm. deep south, and they you know, um, the segregation, yeah, of the, of the audience. The, the venues wanted to segregate black people yeah. and white people, and the Beatles made a group decision that they weren't going to allow that in their venues. And there's a woman who was at one of those shows and saying it was one of the first time that she'd ever sort of she uh, had an experience, yeah, shared with... a joyous experience with a white person, and that was a really powerful mm. moment for her. So, again, you know, to place them in that wider context as well. It's like, it just kind of blows your mind. Mm. It's funny because I've seen Beatles documentaries and I've seen 
stories and things about them, but I don't think I've ever really had something capture what felt like their whole kind of period yeah. of them being the Beatles in such a sh- kind of short amount of time. Yeah. Because it was a long time they were doing this for. And I think um, when, like, because my dad's a huge fan, and the whole thing about when you grow up with a band and you know them all individually and you, yeah. you, you have a connection with them, obviously I never had that. Yeah. And this kind of helped me kind of get that a little bit. Like on the yeah. way home, I just listened to. Well, funnily enough, you know how I say um, I could finally put them them on like a timeline. Yeah, I basically went straight to Rubber Soul because that was the kind of moment they started to grow yeah. and realise they wanted to do something a little bit different. And I really like that. I like to see their kind of to see their kind of the evolution from what they were these big stadium band to then moving on to really trying to try new things like technologically as well as everything else yeah that's why i thought this is where i'm gonna start because all the the older albums is actually more what i know well yeah that's what i was gonna say that it's also sort of that cut off point and you see it a bit in the film that some of the the best known Beatles songs come from the earlier stuff it's the more poppy catchy you know she loves you yeah. yeah and then you know you start to get into the White Album and Rebel Soul and Sergeant Peppers and stuff like that and it you know, it starts to get a bit more yeah. mad. Um By the way, talking about mad, one of my favourite lines is a girl, a fan, um yeah. talking to the camera and she says uh, is it George has sexy eyelashes yeah. <laughs> and she repeats it like six yeah. times. Yeah. Is she Just the one amazing. who was like or the the girl next to her was like Paul McCartney if you can hear this, because maybe you can hear this, uh, Marcy from Brooklyn loves you. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, the one next door. Yeah. Um, their fans were blooming mental. Yeah, absolutely bizarre. It was, it was interesting to learn that, um, you know, you think people going were going, they were going to play stadiums because they just, you know, sell as many tickets as possible, get as many people in as possible. So basically what they were saying was no matter how big a venue they played, like 50,000 people were going to turn up either way and the police there was no way they were going to be able to manage them outside yeah. if they weren't inside so they just had to play these huge and even then you know still riots basically kicking off outside the doors it was just kind of just a, yeah just an insane insane circumstance for a band to operate in mm. were the american crowds just madder for the beatles well if i had it's a cultural thing isn't it america just kind of yeah if I had one complaint about the film, yeah, and this might just be that it happens that they spent most of their time in America, yeah, but it was very, very American centric, and I get that is, you know, Ron Howard's an American director. It was maybe backed by American money, but there would often be bits where you know they they talk about you'd see kind of quite specific dates through a tour, and then it'd say they went back to England for nine days. Mm. to tour in England and then they went on holiday and it's like for me I'm thinking where did they go in England like what was that like was that just as chaotic was you know and it did seem to skim over that a little bit and I suppose my guess is that it's purely because uh the more extreme part of the story they're telling took place in America yeah but it was that touring phase wasn't it yeah but after some sort of early footage of them there was one a uh, show you saw quite a lot of in Manchester. Yeah. And you saw bits of them in the cavern. And yeah. 
the Cavern Club and things like that. Really, everything else was American. And yeah, for me, I just wanted to know a little bit more. Yeah. What was it like when they came to London? You know, Because mm. I don't know what venues they were playing here. I don't know if there were riots in the streets. I can imagine there probably were, but I don't know. So yeah, that would be my one criticism. But it's a very minor criticism because I absolutely loved it. Yeah, Certainly up there with my favourite mu- music documentaries I've ever seen. 100%. Yeah. Very, yeah. I think we should just, before we wrap up this part and move on into the episode, we should just say that it's got a one-day cinema release, this film. Yeah. The 15th of September. Which is a Thursday. Yeah. So we cannot recommend highly enough. Go and see it. Make the most of it. Yeah. We, uh, we've got a trailer on our Twitter so there is a website you can go and buy the tickets from. It is uh, senl.co slash the Beatles tickets. Or obviously Odeon, Pitch House, yeah. Cineworld. It's, a, it's basically getting a huge release for one day only. Yeah. Uh, go to any of those websites, pick up a ticket, go see it, have the time of your life. Yeah. If you do go to um, studiocanaltickets.com, you can find a massive map of where it's going to be showing yep. for you. But uh, we'll have links up on our Twitter at Track Show. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's not hard to find. You guys, no. you guys aren't stupid. You found a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> right. You but know how got, to use computers. You've got one day, so really do go and see it. Yep. Lovely stuff. How do you feel about sharing a highlight? Uh. Yeah, it's nice to agree on some things. We could have shared two highlights this week. Funnily enough. Because the previous night we went to see King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard at Concord 2. And got sweaty. Sweatiest gig I've ever been to in my entire life. Yeah. Walking out like we'd all been through a communal shower. Yeah. Together. All of us. And I lost a shoe. Yeah. That was a highlight. God, you were disgusting. Yeah. I remember being like a dog and kind of wagging my hair around and getting sweat on people. A lot of it was water as well. You put quite a lot of water on me. Uh, Yeah, I did squirt water on your head. I thought I was doing you a favour. Yeah, you were. I was. Uh, I felt okay. Yeah. You know, I did. I just felt a lot wetter than I was, <laughs> but I, I a lot cooler. A lot cooler. I. Funny thing is, for about five minutes, I was wearing a kind of shirt jacket kind of thing, and then I took it off. Uh, and I didn't wear it throughout the whole set, and I didn't wear it home. I just took it home, and I picked it up in the morning, and it was still dripping wet. Yeah, that's how wet that gig was I got home and I couldn't really get the shirt off and I thought this is just ridiculous yeah uh, so yeah also I think they're still on tour King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard brilliant fun to say also to people who don't know the name really good to tell them who you're going to go and see yeah. oh it's just King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard they're, all, they're always like what <laughs> yeah I told someone on that day that that's where I was going and she said it sounds like you've made that up so it's a common my friend says that as well. Says I always make up band names. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> um, nice one. Yeah. Part one in the bag. Part two after the break. Do you know what the date is today, release day of this episode? It is the 13th of September. I'm impressed. I really didn't think you were going to get that. I thought you were going to flounder and I was going to have a cheap laugh at your expense, but no. that hasn't when happened. When has that ever happened? 
Uh, about, Just no, then moving on. About um, five <laughs> seconds ago, when I don't even know what the song you were singing was. Well, it will move on to my next song, but okay, we'll tell the story in a second then. All right. But before we do that, we should uh, tee up what this episode is all about. So, twenty-five years ago today, mm. Geffen Records threw a party for Nirvana to celebrate the release of their single, lead single from their new second album. Nevermind, called Smells Like Teen Spirit, obviously. The party ended interestingly, because the entire band got thrown out starting a food fight, which is quite rock and roll. I like that. Good antics. Never mind, eh? Never mind indeed. <laughs> what happened to the cake? Never mind. Yeah. So what did this anniversary get us thinking? Well, I'll tell you. Normally you hear with bands of the difficult second album. It's kind of a cliche thing. You have this idea that people have their whole lives to build up a body of work and all, all that, you know, 10 years or whatever goes into the first album and it's a culmination of so much work and then maybe 18 months, two years later, they have to build up a whole new body of work and a lot of bands really struggle with it. As we've seen in numerous examples, we're not going to name and shame people, but it happens. But Nirvana were interesting because Nevermind came out in 1991. Yeah. Two years earlier, they had released Bleach, which... Uh, failed to chart in the US. It got, I think, a bit of critical acclaim, but didn't really, you know... Probably some... die-hard fans probably talk about it, that being their best and that, whatever. Also, it was re-released in 1992, after the success of Nevermind. Yeah. So I think it, you know, even if you look at the uh, record sales figures, I think it's really skewed by what happened after the fact. But what makes it an interesting case is that they, someone who's made such a big cultural impact... It took them to their second album to really hit home, to really hit their stride and really get going. So on that theme, Harry, do you have a first selection? My first selection, Tim, is a band who I don't think you're that keen on. But I am, so I'm picking them. They are Interpol. Yep. They yeah. are a band that I... To be honest, uh, they're one of those bands that I've just never really given enough time i know yeah. you're a big fan i know your brother's a big fan i know a number of our friends are big fans mm. but i've always just been totally put off by the name i think i might have even said it on the podcast before yeah i hate it i hate that name <laughs> i think it's a, a silly name to hate well for one it's like it's something else interpol is like what the european police force or whatever something like, like that the world police or something yeah so you can't just call yourself Oh, but Bombay Basketball Club. It's not the same. It is. As Interpol, a little Chinese restaurant in wherever it is. Indian, firstly. Secondly, (laughs) it's still a thing that isn't... You know, you're saying that Interpol is just a word, or it isn't something... Yeah, but it's such a thing. (laughs) Yeah, that's nonsense. It's like a band being called the UN. It's like the UN's already a thing. Oh... Oh, I just don't agree. Anyway, um, in 2002, they brought out Turn On The Bright Lights, which was a huge album. It was really loved. With songs like um, Obstacle One, Say Hello To The Angels, I think Untitled, I think it was Untitled, was used on um, 28 Days Later. This okay. is where I first uh, heard of the band, actually. Um, that song, I think it's also in like a Strongbow advert as well. <laughs> Something like that, but I absolutely adore it. Um 
and how I'm kind of answering this question because as you know I tend to kind of go off on my own yeah because I can't We've noticed yeah I mean that's just what I do um I just don't know how to answer questions <laughs> so I make my own question um but their second album I think was the one that really hit the big time their biggest single evil is massive and it's on antics I don't know if I said the name so, so Antics is the second album. Antics is the second album, 2004, okay. so just two years later. Okay. Which I swear is quite a short amount of time. These days, isn't we're usually waiting a bit longer. I think it's the, it's certainly the lower end. I think if anyone falls under two years, it just feels insane. Yeah. Like, interestingly, this week, the new uh, Jamie T record came out, and we were both... One, well, we both think it's great. I think yeah. I think it's great. I don't know. I haven't Do you? properly heard it yet. Well, so. so, I'll speak for myself. I think it's great, but... It felt like it came really soon, and I think it is under two years since the last one. Only just, mm. but I think it's slightly under two years, which it feels rapid. So yeah, mm. I think it's a really it feels like a really short amount of time. I was also so young, yeah, like stupidly young, and I just would not have liked this at that age. Yeah, I just would have been like, "What is this tripe?" I wouldn't have known what that meant. Um, so we've got "Evil" and "Slow Slow Hands" is probably my favourite song of Interpol in general. Okay. Um, but I think they absolutely killed it with the second album. If anybody doesn't know what they're like, I mean, how many times have you heard people kind of compare them to Joy Division? Yeah. Because of their... It's got the same kind of uh, stilted... Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess what we were kind of talking about earlier, about my... What was it? Not knowing what I'm doing ever. <laughs> yeah, so basically Harry has this thing where uh, even songs he really, really loves... He will sing some words to the right tune, but generally speaking, he will just make up the words as he goes along because he has absolutely no idea what the actual song <laughs> lyrics are. Yeah, I just, I, for some reason, things don't stick in my brain yeah. very well. And um, so I've been singing for ages, or even not then. I've probably sung many different versions. <laughs> yeah. But I've been all like, you're weightless semi-erotic yeah that was the lyrics you went for earlier and yeah. I, I said semi-erotic that can't really be the lyrics can it it sounds too weird and what were the actual lyrics uh, you're weightless so got that bit spot on Boom. so pat on the back for me if I could yeah um, you are exotic you are exotic yeah. semi-erotic <laughs> so I don't know what semi-erotic means I don't think it's a thing it isn't I suppose like it's soft porn, I think if isn't you're it? exotic yeah if you're exotic you're, you're you could be semi-erotic yeah if you like the exotic people whatever that even is <laughs> the exotic people <laughs> who are they Harry do you want to I don't know get your spade out start I've digging just got it <laughs> <laughs> but moving on um we're gonna play something from that second album Part of me wants to go with, yeah, I'm going to go with Evil, just because, you know, it's the song I think everybody will know. Yeah. Rosemary, heaven restores you in life. You're coming with me, through the aging, the fearing, the strife. It's the smiling on the package, it's the faces in the sand It's the thought that moves you upward, embracing me with two hands Right, we'll take you places, yeah maybe to the beach When your friends they do come crying, tell them now your pleasure 
start with a band who we've discussed on the podcast before, particularly in our Great Escape episodes, and a band who I think have kind of been around all through our musical upbringing. Mm. Or certainly like my teens anyway, the whole way through my teens. And they are the Mystery Jets, or Mystery Jets, because there's no day in it. Um, so in 2006, Mystery Jets put out an album called Making Dens, their debut which uh, I didn't hear at the time and was certainly not a big breakthrough for them. I think, again, you know, a bit like Nirvana, like it had, it had some traction. You know, obviously, any new band uh, to be allowed to make a second album at all, you've got to have had some kind of success because it's an expensive business and mm. labels rarely hand out, you know, three album deals to a brand new act. Um, but that first album, it had a track called You Can't Fool Me, Dennis. Which I was going to say, which one was that? Yeah. Yeah. Which I always loved, and there's a few others uh, on that album, which Mystery Jets fans will know and remember. But really, 2008 was when they put themselves on the map. I think we can all agree. So when 21 came out in 2008, you've got Young Love. You've got Half in Love with Elizabeth. Is this a swimming pool cover? Yes. Yeah. You've got Two Doors Down. You've got Umbrella Head. You've got Hideaway. Hideaway. Away, 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 away. Like, yeah. Just so many absolute classics. It's a fantastic album. And one that, just looking at the track list now, I haven't listened to it uh, cover to cover for ages. And I immediately want to. Because it's just... Be memories in a little. With, and a bit of sound. In it. Yeah. I think... Is it the fact that, well, for me personally, 2008 was like the big year in discovering music for me? Did I miss out on that first album because it just came out before I started to delve into this think, kind of stuff? I think it just was wasn't it? that big. I mean, because yeah. I was 15 when it came out, so I was very much starting to get into my music by then and, you know, mm. reading The Enemy and trying to pay attention to new bands around. So, and it, it completely passed me by. I think it, yeah, they were just a more of a niche band. Like I say, I think Young Love became like a, a kind of go-to indie floor filler and uh, Two Doors Down got a lot of radio play because it obviously had the kind of slightly uh, 80s pop cheesy element to it. Mm. That you know, Why do you think that the Mystery Jets have kind of never become a huge... Thing. They've never, have they ever like um, headlined a major festival? Uh, n- no, I don't think so. Um, it's an interesting question. I, you know, I I remember when the the last album, Curve of the Earth, came out this year, which again, incidentally, is fantastic. I think um, came out, and there was a lot of kind of talk on the radio and stuff about how it's so impressive that they're still going. You know, not many bands make it to a decade in the industry. Um, and I think they've done that always being kind of quite true to what they are. Yeah. And it's not... I've seen them on the main stage at Reading before, and it was good. But I, I think even then we all said, like, we would have preferred them to be on a, a smaller tent stage. It's just not quite the... You need a really expansive sound to fill a huge stage, I, um, which I, I think is why... You know, the likes of uh, Foles and the Maccabees kind of grew into it because their sound became more and more expansive, whereas Mystery Jets, you could say Cover the Earth, is a bit more like that. Yeah. But generally speaking, they are 
their own thing. I saw them play a little festival a while ago. It was at uh, Blissfields down near Winchester. Like okay. Really, really small. And they, they headlined it, I think, on like a Sunday night or something. And they absolutely like tore the place down. Yeah. Like it was reason that I, I don't know how what the kind of capacity was, but imagine like I think, the park stage at Glastonbury maybe? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um that is exactly what I mean. Um But they I heard somewhere that they kind of they do Blissfields all the time because they just love playing at festivals and stuff. They don't yeah. I I feel like they're not they're not out here to try and headline. Uh, Glastonbury or anything they yeah. just want to play music and stuff yeah and I think all that stuff like they went to America and they wanted to do all that stuff and yeah Redlands they spent a lot yeah a lot of time recording that out in America and if I was in a band and I was I was kind of I was able to support myself and I was spending two or three years recording I would definitely go to America yeah. just because if when you have the opportunity and you're in your 20s or 30s and you want to go and do something like that I mean that's amazing I, I feel like a lot of bands are doing it these days yeah and also I think yeah, I don't know for a fact, but I, my gut tells me that they're a slightly older band than yeah. a lot of their kind of you know uh, peers in terms of people who turned up at the same time as them. And I wonder if maybe you know that kind of real. Obviously, I think being in the, any band is hard graft, but maybe to get to the kind of headlining, you know, latitude or whatever level, you have to really put in the. Mm years and years and years of non-stop touring and I don't know if, I don't know if Mystery Jets have done that maybe they have and I'm just completely missing it but you know there could be something to do with just the, that little bit older that little bit more comfortable in just doing what they're doing and not sort of chasing a chasing a, a dream of being the biggest band in the world yeah so they're a really great band yeah. and yeah 21 breakthrough hit uh, and I think really put them on the map and from that album I'm going to play Toodles Down. It kind of has to be. I think I'm in love. Stop looking at me like that. <laughs> I think I'm in love with the girl next door. It's driving me crazy, I can't take it anymore. I hear her playing the drums late at night. The neighbours complain, but that's the kind of girl I like. Maybe I should call her up and invite her around Or maybe I should move to another town Shame on everyone who doesn't play that song. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you may have mentioned, Tim, uh, while we were listening to that, that we are kind of falling back on some songs that, or some bands that we kind of grew up at the same kind of time. We've gone quite back into our comfort zone, I think is fair to say. Um, you know, mid-noughties to 2010, whatever that yeah. decade is called. What is this decade Tensies. called? Tensies. This, yeah, teensies. I don't know. <laughs> Dingies. <laughs> Whatever this decade is called. Anyway, it's kind of indie, yeah, bands. So, from... um, I'm gonna change that. Are you? Yeah, and go with Vampire Weekend. <gasps> Mine's just exploded. <laughs> Different. So we all know the first album 
self-titled Vampire Weekend. Yes. It was a hit. It I was. I mean, it was, in, in, it was indie anthems back to back, it, front to back. Yeah. It was one which really um, changed my musical taste, I think, yeah. quite significantly, almost immediately. I'd It's one of the first jingly, um, that kind of jingly uh, indie bands that just I different really and found. like you know they bring in, in all these different influences you know Afrobeat and stuff like that and it kind of takes you yeah a bit like we've talked about with like hip hop albums before that like you you kind of when you go and dig into where the samples and stuff come from when Vampire Weekend first came out there was a lot written about them and it talked about all these different influences that they've got and I I you know as a what, what year did that come out uh, two thousand and I think eight yeah two thousand eight. Yeah, so I was 17, and it set, it, you know, I went out and found loads of different stuff that I, I never would have otherwise if it wasn't for Vampire Weekend, so it was real. Absolutely, yeah. That's how I Game changer it. for me. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I've always found that they've been really consistent throughout their albums. Yeah, I... I consistent, but always a leap forward, which yeah. is why I'm picking their second album. Yeah. I think... Um, with a lot of bands, what you see is that they fall into a trap of, uh, even if they've had quite a varied first album, if there's one song in particular that's a real breakout hit, you'll often see bands kind of fall into the trap of making a second album that is really similar to that. Yeah. Um, and obviously A-Punk from the first album was the big, the big anthem, like you say. Yeah. And I think they could have gone and made a second album which had even just you know two or three a punks on it yeah you could potentially argue that cousins is a bit of an a cousins and holiday maybe even holiday i think it's a bit weirder than a punk like mm. i mean i know a punk's weird but holiday is just an old little track well, california english i guess actually yeah a but basically what i'm saying is i think they just went and did their own thing again yeah so the second album is contra came out yeah. 2010 so we didn't have to wait too long and i remember when this came out it was one of those ones where i thought at the time and I've always had when I have this re- initial reaction hence the Frank Ocean Blonde when I have this initial reaction where I'm just kind of not sure what I'm listening to yes things are I, I, I can hear that it's the band that I love yeah, and there are similarities but just not quite there yet and then I start to give it more of a listen and then I'll instantly well not, not instantly over a while start to really fall in love with it yeah. to the point where I just never stopped playing it and yeah. I never stopped playing this throughout my first year of college Yeah, ever it was ridiculous I would I'd walk around with my earphones in Yeah, firstly thinking I was cool because I could listen to music at college and be like aha no one could tell me what to do <laughs> I'm not even going to turn up for college Yeah, um, and then things like yeah Cousins came out and that awesome video on um it's like down a on back the like, tracks yeah. yeah when they're just kind of going around playing the guitar and Ezra had a really cool coat on yeah I remember being obsessed with that coat and searching everywhere to try and find my own one and I couldn't. Absolutely. Um, and I think, because it opens up with Horde Charter. Horde Charter. Yeah. In December. And I thought, when you first hear that after kind of leaving their first album, yeah. it's weird. It's different. It's weird. Yeah. But I think this one, it's, I think this took them to a new level in terms of people could maybe take them serious. Not, not maybe, but people didn't really necessarily not take them seriously with the first album. But they, you would hear jingly, I know jingly indie. I know what you're saying because I think in some ways, because they're unique, yeah, and because Ezra I think is quite a 
funny, naturally funny character anyway, and some of his lyrics are so bizarre yeah. that a lot of the time you don't know what's going on. They they can potentially be a little bit hard with like you know, novelties not a fair word at all but I think you know they were a little bit of a novelty at first and it's yeah. like to really grow into that and make make themselves credible and serious whilst also still keeping that those kind of weird quirky edges is a difficult balance to strike well I find that Modern Vampires took them that even step yeah, I mean, further so I think every single yeah. album they've had they've they've taken yeah. a leap forward and they've they've grown which is the best way you can yeah. go if you just keep the nuances of of how your band is when it starts and yeah. you just kind of grow on those and you, you build on those even and you just keep making things yeah. better. And I, I think they definitely did that with the second album. It's yeah, one of my favourite. It is my favourite, I think, of all three, which mine, I find difficult. Yeah, mine's Modern Vampires, but yeah. I totally see why Contra could be. I think well, they're, where they're fortunate and without wanting to kind of uh, over-exaggerate you know, their importance or how brilliant I think they are, I think you can see from the fact that all the members have gone off and done other stuff and it's all been really, really interesting individually. You know, you've got Bios, solo record, you've got the stuff Rostam's doing now. Yeah. Ezra's gone and, you know, produced stuff for other people or featured or whatever. You know, they are you know, kind of similar to the Beatles, that everyone could go off and do their own thing as well and then come back and be an interesting and progressive band as well. I think they're they're just a group of really, really talented and unique individuals who then, you know, when they come together. And they make a big noise when they bring out a new album as well. Like yeah. they the people start to love them again and like they they get talked about a lot more. And yeah. then they kind of just like sit 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 in the in their shadows for a bit and people kind of forget about them and then they just release another thing and we're yeah. kind of hoping that soon is gonna be that time. Which maybe you're 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 thinking that it might be maybe a couple of years. Yeah. Um, I'll go with whatever I'm given. But yeah. um, choosing a song to play from this one was a little difficult. But um, I'm gonna go with Taxi Cab. Unsentimental, driving around. Sure of myself, sure of it now. You stand this close to me, like the future was supposed to be. In the aisles of the grocery. Forgotten, could you tell? In the shadow of your first attack. So, following on from you saying that we've gone back into our comfort zone, that is uh, indie music, I'm gonna come a little bit out of it. Hello. But also into somewhere that is very much my comfort zone. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> We're in nice, comfy seats right now. We're in yeah. Lazy Boys or Lazy Men, yeah. whatever they're called. <laughs> lazy Boys, I think. Yeah. Lazy Men. I don't know why that seems weirder, but it just definitely does. <laughs> it shouldn't be. No, Lazy Boys. It's like... Is it in Friends? It's the Lady, lazy, lady, lady Boys. boys. <laughs> God. Uh, they Spiraling had Lazy Boys, they? here. Yeah. They were Lazy Boys, too. Um, well, oh, Jerry and Chandler. Way. Remember that one where they didn't get out of their chairs for ah, a week or something? So lazy. Lazy as hell. <laughs> anyway. Another sort of Comfort zone, as you know, is Motown, kind of R and B, old soul stuff. 
I love it. I cannot get enough of it. And one of the most iconic names of that kind of era of American music is Gladys Knight. We all know many of the things she went on to do as a solo artist and as just as a singer throughout her career. An incredible voice and incredible talent. But she was in a band that were initially called The Pips mm. and then were called Gladys Knight and The Pips. Uh, I think originally it was made up of a combination of her siblings and cousins and her. And then there are a few, from what I understand, a few uh, changes of lineup. But I could be wrong. But I don't think I am wrong. I think that's quite common. In saying that. Uh, the whole way through the pits, I think they were always uh, blood relatives of Gladys. Yeah. Um, and the story of their success is quite an interesting one. They they formed in 1952 and didn't release their first album until 1962, so that's quite a long old slog. Um, first album was called Letter Full of Tears, which, I don't know about you, but that's not going to get me out of my armchair to get down to the record store. That's... Just going to be like, oh, mm. cheery. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it did okay. It was a relative success, but by no means a breakthrough. So that first album came out in 1962 on Brunswick Records. Yeah. By 1967, they'd left their first label, joined Motown, and were about to put out an album called Everyone Needs Love. A classic an iconic, incredible piece of work. But what it's kind of uh, probably most notable for is for having their version of Heard It Through the Grapevine, which came out a year before Marvin Gaye's, which obviously became the runaway hit with that particular song. But it was a breakthrough hit for them as well. They got to number two in the Billboard charts and became stars, essentially. And Gladys Knight's name began to rise to the heights that it continues to be till this day. So, they're a perfect example of a band who struggled, you know, by the time this album came out, they'd been going 15 years. You know, when we did the Maccabees episode and we were talking about how long they'd been going mm. and we kind of marvelled at the fact that there was a five-year gap that we didn't really know about before yeah. the first album came out. You know, 15 years before you have any kind of breakthrough at all. Mad. That's most... No, some well, most bands' careers. Yeah, if that, you know, yeah. some people are lucky to get that. Yeah, like I say, an iconic star who I think it's mad that we haven't played any Gladys Knight yet on this podcast, mm. and now is about time that we did. So I'm gonna play. I heard it through the grapevine by Gladys Knight and the Pips. Beautiful. Enjoy. said uh, while we were listening to that it's funny because it is quite significantly different to the the most famous Marvin Gaye oh. version of that song we've spoken about it briefly before on the podcast 
about how songs would often be passed from artist to artist uh, yeah. in the kind of Motown era. Um, and it's cool to hear, like, that was the original interpretation of it. Um, and then Marvin Gaye went and took it somewhere else. I think I find that fascinating anyway. Um, so, yeah, that's my second pick. Are we going to uh, bungee back into mid noughties indie for, I mean, for your final selection? There is a large percentage that we will do that. Yeah. Almost certain? I mean, it's 100. Oh, it's 100. The yeah. largest of all the percentages. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I am going back in time and I'm going back to our, our comfort zones. Back into the Lazy Boys. Yep. And uh, I'm going with Jamie T, who, coincidentally, his album has just come out. Yeah, we mentioned it earlier in the show, I think. We did. And I said, I'll talk about it a little. Um, Yeah, Trick's just come out. haven't heard it too much. I think it's really brilliant. Yeah. I think it's really uh, eclectic and um, loads of what you want from a Jamie T album but also loads of uh, moments where you can really feel he's trying something new and trying to push it in a new direction and I think that's really exciting from an artist who is now on album number four yeah yeah it's been a long while now 2007 is first Panic Prevention yep a classic brilliant I mean of the kind of many iconic songs of our youth Sheila has got to be right up there oh god yeah yeah. It's an album that I never really knew where to place in terms of explaining what it was I liked about it to people. Yeah. I, w- I couldn't say it was kind of rap or like kind of indie music. You you didn't you couldn't really tell. It was a exactly big crossover, was, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Yeah. Like indie rock anthems but with I think it was raps punky, wasn't it? That was Yeah, the thing. it was very punky. And I think he's increasing well, I say increasingly. It's something that has remained throughout all his releases. Mm. Is that kind of punky edge. And I felt like his second album, Kings and Queens, another big um, college album for me. Um, it it felt like he kind of cleaned up a little, cleaned his sound up a little. That's what it. That's what I kind of got from that second album. Yeah, I love the second album. It's again. I felt it was. Um, a mix of first album kind of grittiness um in that what's the um big bang where we're going what, what we can't down dearest, can't is down dearest yeah. yeah that kind of um grittiness i thought would be Jump lost already maybe drink got spikes more likely of the like that I'm just a lightweight. And then, like, so good you yeah. just you hear like one line from any of his early stuff and you just can't help but just go off we're, we're then met with things like Emily's Heart and Julie Armin and uh, Spider's Web, which are all like yeah. um, softer, softer tones, softer kind of in yeah. terms of lyrics and musicianship and everything involved. I think, um, like, I think, is it? Um, Spider's Web even has a ukulele in it, which, you know, wouldn't have been found anywhere in the first. Yeah. I just, I, I found that it was a lot more cleaned up still a little bit like Vampire Weekend I felt like he was getting better as a musician um, trying new things and I think it was around a time when he was having like anxiety problems I think after this album or 
maybe in between the first and the second, he was like not performing. He was like cancelling shows or something. Yeah, well, I mean, he was it was, having it was huge... after this album, there was the hiatus of, yeah, I don't know how many years, but it felt like about a decade that he was gone. He were 2009 was Kings and Queens, and then Carry On The Grudge came out in 2014. Yes, five years. That but, is a long time. You would almost but, think he's not going to come back. I, I didn't think he was going to come back, because not only was he not putting stuff out, he didn't play a single show, and no one knew what had happened to him. Like, yeah. there was no... Even before the break started, it was, there was no, like, uh, you know, statement from his label saying, Jamie's going to take an extended break yeah. from music or whatever he just disappeared off the face which of the which makes earth. it even weirder that within two years he's brought out another record and it's all this like it makes you think he must have still been you know rehearsing with his band and stuff yeah I think he really I think he lost his way a little bit to be honest I think he obviously had this performance anxiety and maybe he didn't I really have no idea but I think he's found it all again he's got he's got his uh, what's the word he's got his Jimondo back yeah, that is the word. Jimondo, yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I was looking for too. I'm re- I really hope so. Um, I'm gonna play um, the big, the big single from this album. This one was the um, the one you get all your lads shouting, yeah, shouting and singing. This it's, was it's up there with Sheila and yeah, those I think, kind of. And I think more than uh, Sheila, and very much on theme with this episode. This was the one that really crossed over. This was like a big. Radio One hit from what I remember yeah. and that's uh, amazing from from an artist like him like there's a a bit in um, in Spider's Web where he says we're stubborn as fuck and I'm proud to say that me and Ben Skeleton mixed our own medicine never let a cricket cricket <laughs> <laughs> never let a critic affect our direction and it's like yeah. he did really it was just totally authentically him but he just took it to another level and it became less scratchy and less recorded in his bedroom and this kind of, you know, fully fleshed out mm. project and a really unique and interesting one. And I think um, I think the success that Sticks and Stones had is a real testament to mm. how talented he is. I wonder why um, the five-year gap happened then. I, I was, I'm sure there's information on that. I'd be interested to... I don't know, because I've read a few interviews with him. I mean, maybe if you read interviews with him around the uh, Carry On The Grudge release, mm-hmm. there'll be more. But I've read a few in this last week about the new album, Trick. And people sort of seem to mention it in passing that he disappeared, but yeah. it's, it's... It's just something that happened, I guess, yeah. maybe. I was just thinking maybe in terms of... Um, was he happy with his second release but um I, I, can, have to ask I can only when he's assume on next week yeah, I can only assume so I feel like just judging by what he's put out since yeah it doesn't feel like there's been like a grand depart from from the second album mm. which makes me think he must have been quite happy with that but who knows yeah. there's probably a lot of things we're people, happy with it people are humans who have lives as well so yeah he could have just been dealing with stuff. Anyway, let us go out and find some trouble with sticks and stones. Good train again away for shame and blame a city pain to see a friend I hadn't seen since I was drinking underage. I was a ten a day, how'd you say? Little shit, white lightning, hiding on my courage, quick whip we were tickets.
What a banger! It's a banger. It's a sausage of itself. It's a sausage and some potatoes. Potatoes? Are you five years <laughs> old, Harry? <laughs> but potato. Sausages and potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> anyway, moving on to your pick. You know. Yep. I am going to close the episode mm-hmm. with my final pick. And we're staying very much in the comfort zone. Oh, I I'm don't not know what you're going to pick, so... Exciting. You'll agree as soon as I tell you that we are still very, very much in the comfort zone. So in 2004, a band from London released an album called Coming On Strong. Do you know the name of that band, Harry? Coming On Strong. I want more clues. Uh, you're not going to get any more clues because we're strapped for time, so I'm just going to get on with it. That band were called Hot Chip. Oh, blooming neck. And Coming On Strong didn't really break through. I'm looking at like a a collation of uh, reviews from the media, and it, there were some which was low as 3 out of 10. Um, Metacritic only gives it 67 out of 100. Oh, no, very... Metacritic. But very mixed and certainly not a breakthrough album. And I've got to be honest, when I heard their follow-up, The Warning, Mm. I remember thinking that it was a debut album from a new band. I didn't know that two years previously they'd put out another album. Right. The Warning contained huge, huge, huge hits over and over. I remember seeing the video for the first time. I remember just thinking it was just totally out there, like n- like nothing I'd I was hearing at the time. And they've always been. They continue to be a really unique and interesting band who really don't kind of fit in any scene necessarily, or follow sort of the influence of what other people are doing. They just seem to be like totally out on their own. Um, and I really loved this album when it first came out. And I still love it now. I listened to it only a few weeks ago. Just happened to sort of pluck it up out of my old hard drive full of legally downloaded material. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Music, right? Yeah. Yeah, not, not that kind of material. <laughs> That's all legally downloaded. <laughs> but anyway, uh, <laughs> everyone knows what chip. I don't think too much needs to be said about them. Other than I think they're a really, really great band and they continue to really evolve in a way that keeps me interested. And Alexis Taylor, the lead singer, has also been doing solo stuff recently, which is really stripped back. Nothing like Hot Chip at all. Is mm. A lot of it, I think his live shows literally are just him and, his, and a piano. And even on the recorded stuff, there's like a little bit of production, a little bit of other stuff. But generally speaking, it's really just stripped back and interesting and lovely. Yeah. But we're going to go back to 2006, where he really started to make his name, and we're going to listen to Over and Over. Oh, wow. That was um, a big party, a uni party anthem, that then. Yeah, it was. Mm. And it's funny because as kind of suburban, white, British teenagers, uh, there's something brilliant about the time when you and all your mates start sort of when it goes to the K I S S I N G, everyone's sort of like robotting <laughs> and like, like just totally doing things they should not be doing and look ridiculous doing. But it just brings it out in you, this track. Yeah. 
It's one of them. Uh, so playing us out, I guess. Yeah. So we'll just say thank you guys for listening. It means a lot to us, as always. Um, do be sure to keep tuning back. And there's loads of episodes now. Go yeah. dig back. I'm also going to give out a shout to the other platforms for the first time in God knows how long. Yeah. We're on Twitter, forward slash, or at Tracks Show. Yeah. We're on Instagram, forward slash Tracks Show. Facebook, the same thing. Uh, I've been doing a little bit of work on our Spotify account. Yeah. Curating all the songs we've ever picked. Currently 30 playlists for your listening pleasure. With over 250 songs chosen by our fair hands. Isn't that really exciting? It's They're, beautiful. And that's Track Show Music. You can find us on there. Yep. 250 songs. Like If, if you don't like that, then throw away your ears, I think. Because <laughs> shout out to Craig Charles for that little gag. <laughs> on Six Music earlier. We both had a little throw giggle. Throw away your ears. <laughs> Eating our noodles. Chuckling away to Craig Charles. So yeah, thank you. See you next week. This is over and over. Bye. Hot chip. Hey